There's a powerful, heart-rending, and miraculous story in the Bible in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6 and 7. It's heartbreaking because it's a story of a city, the capital of Israel, being under siege. The Arameans, who are an attacking, invading army, have come into Israel and they've surrounded the capital. And uh, they have this long-lasting siege. The reason it's heartbreaking is because in the city, people are starving to death. Uh, They're beginning to turn on one another. They're fighting with one another. They're killing one another. There is absolutely no hope. There is no food. People have no idea what to do. It gets so bad that the king, people are looking to the king for help. He has nothing to offer. And so in his frustration and his anger, he chooses to blame God. Now the problem with blaming God is he's hard to get a hold of to do something to him. And so the king does in his mind the next best thing. He goes and finds the man of God named Elisha and he sends a man to behead him. He's like, we don't want any more of this God stuff. This has done us no good in the midst of this famine. And he's going to vent his anger and his wrath by taking this prophet Elisha and killing him. Well, God, knowing what's happened, tells Elisha before the, the executioner shows up. And he gives Elisha a message of deliverance. And so when the man shows up to behead him, Elisha says, I've got a message to give to the king. So he takes him to the king and he says to the king with all present, within 24 hours, wheat and barley will be so plentiful in this city that they will sell for rock bottom prices. One of the officers of the king who is listening laughs and says, even if, now listen to his words, even if God were to open the floodgates of heaven, Such a thing could never happen. Now, meanwhile, outside the city, there are four lepers in a leper colony. Leprosy was a contagious disease, and so they were not allowed in the city. And these four lepers are also starving to death because there's no food anywhere. And so they think to themselves, and they have a conversation, and they say, okay, look, let's go through our options It's a very logical, rational way to do this. Option number one, we stay here, we die. Option two, we go into the city. They don't have any food, we die. Option three, we go to the Arameans. They decide to kill us, we die. Option four, the Arameans who do have food decide to be merciful, we live. So they look at their options, death, 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 maybe life. And so they decide, let's take a chance. So these four lepers go to the Aramean camp. They're camped all around the city, laying siege to this city. What they don't know and what nobody in the city knows except for Elisha is that during this time, God himself has come into the Aramean camp And he's miraculously caused them to hear the sounds of chariots and horses. And they conclude that the king of Israel has hired the king of Egypt to come and rescue him. 
And so with great fear and trembling, they abandon everything in the camp. They take nothing with them and they go running back home. Well, these four lepers walk into this camp and here are hundreds of thousands of tents with provisions, food and clothing and wine and gold and silver. And they do exactly what you and I would do. They begin to party. They eat everything they can. They do what we would do as well. They take some of the gold and silver. They run off, dig a hole and bury it. They go back and they get some more and they bury some more. But at some point, the fear of the Lord strikes them. And they say to one another, hold on guys, what we're doing is not right. I mean, there is way more food and gold and silver and clothing than we could have just for ourselves. And they say this, today is a day of good news. We would be sinning by keeping this to ourselves. And so they go to the city Hey, good news. All the food, all the gold, all the silver that you could possibly imagine just waiting for you outside. Now remember, everybody in the city is starving to death. Imagine hearing that news. Well, as you can imagine, it takes them a little while to believe these guys. But finally they do. And they come out of the city and there is vast food, drink, wealth, more than his power, more, more than all the people in the city. So much so that by the end of the day, flour, wheat, and barley are selling for rock bottom prices. Just like the man of God had said. Now I tell you this story because we're going through a series in Titus about sound doctrine. And we've been covering this series and looking at important teachings as they appear, uh, important subjects as they appear in the scriptures. We're almost to the end of our series. We've talked about creation, election, redemption, Messiah, exile, incarnation. And then last week we talked about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the reason I told you that story from 2 Kings 6 is that last week when we were talking about the crucifixion, and the resurrection. We talked about the fact that through Jesus' death, God has done more for us than we could possibly imagine. That his death, just to say a few things, his death saves us from the debt of our sin. It rescues us from exile by expressing God's infinite love to us. Jesus' death saves us from God's wrath and pays for the injustice of what we've done. And his death saves us from death. His resurrection also does more for us than we could possibly imagine. His resurrection makes the resurrection of all those we love who have died in Jesus possible so that we can live forever with them. His resurrection enables us to live in new power here and now. Jesus' resurrection power. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, he has sworn to us when you go through suffering, I will be there with you. I will walk through it with you. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we can now have meaning and hope in the work that we do in life. But in reality, it's like these four lepers who have come upon a day of great news. 
And they're going to respond the same way we would respond in that, you know what? Jesus died so I can have life. Jesus was raised from the dead so I can experience resurrection power. And we're going to party. And we're going to enjoy it. And we're going to celebrate all that God's done. But at some point, the thought's going to enter our heart. And we're going to look around and go, Jesus' death and his resurrection... There's more than enough here for the whole world. This is a day of good news. Just because somebody else comes out of the city and eats the food doesn't mean there's any less. Doesn't mean that there's any less for the people who were there before. When you and I become Christians, doesn't mean there's any less salvation for other people. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do with this good news? There's more than enough to go around. God has opened the floodgates of heaven. And the answer to the question, what do we do with this good news, is the topic we're talking about this morning. The topic of the Spirit. So I'd like to invite you, if you will, to take a Bible and turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's page 882 in the Bibles that are in the rack in front of you. Acts chapter 1. You heard much of this read uh, earlier today, earlier uh, by this uh, leadership development group. We're going to look back through this. Thinking through the question, Jesus' death and resurrection opens the floodgates of heaven. How do we share this good news with other people? Acts is written by a man named Luke. And so he opens in verse one, in my former book, which is referring to the gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And then probably the most important teaching. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As Jesus is preparing to ascend and to leave this earth, he spends his time teaching and talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We confess that when we say the Apostles' Creed. We believe in one God, eternally existing in three persons. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a thing. He's a person. Not a human like Jesus, but a person. Meaning he has intellect, will, emotions, and we engage with him 
many ways in which we engage with one another. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift, a promised gift, the Holy Spirit. In many ways, this is the floodgates of heaven opening up. This is the great news that heaven is coming down to earth in all its blessings. You see, Jesus uses the language of baptism. He says, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The analogy is a man named John the Baptist was baptizing people in water. Not in a little bit of water, but in a whole river of water. And the idea was, as you were immersed in the flow of this great river, and you were raised up, covered in water. And Jesus says that is a symbol for the coming of the Spirit. That God is going to immerse himself in us and us in him. This is amazing news. Now you might understand this, I understood it. But when I thought through it this week, it hit me afresh. And I'm praying it will hit you afresh today. You see, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the incarnation. And we said that David's desire is the same desire that all people who know God have, is we want God to live near us. David wanted God to build, live in a house. And so he said, I'd like to build God a house so he would be my neighbor. Of course, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great to have God as your neighbor? You run out of sugar, you go knock on the door. You're like, could you create more sugar? Just create it. Just say the word and there'll be sugar. If someone comes to your door and they're causing you trouble, you're like, just a minute. You run over to your neighbor, you're like, hey, could you come over for a minute? I need some help. If you get some bills you can't pay, you walk over to your neighbor's house, you just kind of change the address and go, here, I think these are for you. <laughs> it would be great to have God as your neighbor. And so David thinks, how fantastic would this be if I build God a house and he could be my neighbor? And we talked about during the incarnation that God sees the desire of David's heart and he says, I love you, man. That is awesome. I'm gonna do more than you even asked for. God did come and live in a house near David as his neighbor for a few centuries, but then God really did something amazing. He became human so he could live on this earth and dwell among us as one of us. And we talked about the fact that this is the greatest miracle that you can conceive of God becoming a human because he wanted to live near us. He wanted to live with us. He wanted to live among us. But now watch this. It's even better than that. What do I mean? Because God became a human, he was then able to die on a cross for humanity, be raised from the dead for humanity, so that God the Holy Spirit could come and live in us. Do you understand? David just wanted God as a neighbor, Jesus came as a human to live among us, but through the Holy Spirit, God can now live in us. And again, I knew this, you may know this, but it hit me afresh this week. The fullness of God, all his wisdom, 
all his power, all his love, all his glory, not in the house next door, not even a person, but inside of us. That is crazy. That is beyond what David or anybody could have ever hoped for or imagined. This is why it's a day of good news. This is why the floodgates of heaven have opened up the greatest possible gift we could be given. God himself living in us. You know, sometimes the thing with Jesus is, these are amazing stories, but you're like, they happened 2,000 years ago. And you can go there and visit where he was and go, hey, you know, we think Jesus might have walked right here. That's pretty cool. But having the spirit of Jesus actually living in us today, that's jaw-dropping. That is unbelievable. This is what God has done. Now, why? Lots and lots of reasons. We don't have time to cover them all. But one super important one has to do with the good news of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. The very last words that Jesus speaks on this earth before he ascends to heaven. Last words are important. The very last words he speaks are verse eight. After this, he goes to heaven. This is what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And with those words, Jesus ascends to heaven. The very last thing he wanted you and I to hear and to know before he leaves for heaven is an answer to the question. We're sitting in the camp. We got all the food, drink, Gold, silver, clothing, far more than we'll ever be able to use. We've already run over and buried our share of gold in the ground. And now we're asking ourselves the question, but this crucifixion, this resurrection, it could help the whole world. This is a day of good news. How do we share it with them? And Jesus says, the answer to that question is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you with all of God's power and you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness to Jesus. You will tell people the good news. How? Well, let's look how it happened in the book of Acts. And I want to show you it happens the exact same way today. So look over at Acts chapter 2. We're going to see the actual baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the Spirit coming. And in two very real ways in Acts 2, God's people go out and become witnesses of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now you heard more of this passage read during our scripture reading. And you might remember what happens is there's a whole bunch of people that all of a sudden gather around and they're from all different countries and they all speak different languages. 
And all of a sudden, they're all like, wait a minute, we're hearing people speaking in our language and they look at their faces and their complexions and they go, they shouldn't know that language. They don't look like us. And they recognize something is happening here and they ask the question, whoa, what is this? Now, some people think, oh, it's because they're drunk. Other people are like, yeah, that's not really a great explanation. Something else is happening here. And so Peter gets up and he tells them, hey, look, everything that's happening is because of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with us because of what Jesus did. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. God said it was going to happen this way. Because Jesus' death and resurrection occurred, it's now possible for the Holy Spirit to be present with us. And it says 3,000 people became believers in Jesus. Now, on one hand, well, that's super great. On the other hand, you can read Acts 2, and sometimes it can feel a little discouraging. You're like, well, I've never seen any tongue of fire hovering over my head. And I've never miraculously spoken in a language that other people didn't, that other people knew that I didn't. Please be very careful with Acts 2. There's a real danger in thinking that unless things happen with these exact details, that this thing is not happening. Let me say the pattern is the same. The details change. And the pattern works like this. The Holy Spirit who is in you, if you're a believer, does something and it gets people's attention. Once he has people's attention, there is then an opportunity to say, what got your attention is the Holy Spirit. Now, it might be that the Holy Spirit does something miraculous. These people didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't plan it. They simply are going about their day and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit causes them to speak in languages they didn't know. That's pretty cool. That might happen with you. It may also happen in a slightly less miraculous way where you study a language and you're able to learn that language through the power of the Spirit and you go to speak to somebody in a language they're not expecting you to speak to them in and all of a sudden that gets their attention. They're like, why did you learn my language? Same things happen. The details have changed. It may also happen that you're a builder or a home remodeler and you go and you're doing work for somebody and you happen to do it full of the Spirit because you have the Spirit and you do it with love and joy and peace and it gets their attention. They're like, you know, we've had other builders here and they didn't treat us the way you're treating us. That's the Spirit in you getting their attention. You might be a teacher and you may have a couple of students that have come into your class that everybody else in the school is like, oh, look out. That's going to be bad news. And you may choose through the Spirit to do what Jesus says, which says, love your enemies. And you may choose to love them even though they're really difficult students. And at some point, that may get their attention. Why are you treating us different than all the other teachers? Why haven't you just kicked us out of the class? You may be a student yourself. And you may see somebody who's got no friends and you're like, you know what? You might just feel compelled even after today. You know what? I should try to be friends with them. And you may go sit with them at the lunch table and they may ask you, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Do you understand? This is the spirit doing what the spirit does. Sometimes it's really miraculous and sometimes it's very small. But the point is when you and I go out into the world at school or at work or anything else, we're taking the spirit with us. And when the spirit does what the spirit does, he gets people's attention. Last night, 
uh, I was asked to do a prayer of invocation for the National Kidney Foundation of Michigan fundraising event. So I agreed, I went and I uh, prayed for the event. One of the really cool things is the person, one of the people they were honoring is a doctor named uh, Daniel Borison. And he's a kidney doctor. I didn't know much about him, but they showed a video to say, you know, why are we giving this person this, it's called the Gift of Life Award. And in the video, one of the people that he had done a kidney transplant for said, I'm so thankful for uh, Dr. Borison. When I was feeling incredible stress, uh, he prayed with me before we went into surgery together. And so I thought, well, how cool is that? So I went and asked him, I was like, hey, do you mind if I use you as an example in my sermon tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And then I said, well, tell me, what do you do? And he's like, you know, I don't pray with everybody, but sometimes I just feel this sense that I need to pray with this person and I try to follow that and I ask them if that's okay if I pray with them. That's exactly what we're talking about. That is the spirit doing what the spirit does. Some people are gonna be like, oh, he's just a nice doctor. But other people are gonna say, why did you do that? And other people are going to feel, hey, wait a sec, then something happened. And when you're a nurse or when you're a teacher, or when you're a student, when you're a builder, when you're doing your job, when you're out in the world and you simply let the spirit do what the spirit does in you. If you're a person who shows up to work on time every day and that's the spirit helping you have self-control, somebody is sometimes going to say, hey, that's pretty cool. Why are you always on time? The pattern is the same. The spirit simply lives his life in us, in the world. And some people are going to think, oh, you just do that because you're a good person or there's community spirit or you're a nice doctor or you're a conscientious person or they might think, well, you do it out of guilt or whatever. That's fine. It happened to Jesus too. But some people are going to say, hey, what's going on? That's when the second part of the pattern happens. Now, this is the part where if you're like me, you might feel a little intimidated. You're like, now I got to go tell people what Peter said. And then you read what Peter said and you're like, well, that's a pretty theologically impressive speech. I don't think I could give that speech. I got great news for you. You don't have to. If you want, just give the speech Peter gave. This is what I do because I find it intimidating because people say, well, why do you do this? Why do that? I don't immediately think of all these verses and all this stuff. And so here's a little secret. What I do is I just read them what Peter said. I don't actually read the one in Acts 2 that often because this was a one preached, uh, especially in a Jewish context. I tend to read what Peter said in Acts 10. So just as a side note, if you want to write it down, Acts 10, verses 38 to 43. This is the first time the gospel's ever shared with a Gentile and they have no background. And so Peter basically starts at the beginning and says, here's the story. And he covers the stuff you want to cover in five verses. And so even just a couple of weeks ago, I had the great privilege of leading somebody to faith. I got there and showed up. Uh, they were in the hospital, and so I said really nice things, and then I thought, well, now what do I say? And I just said, hey, can I just read you something? And when I'm done, you can just, yeah, we just read it to you. So I just read him Peter's words. It was really powerful. He came to faith, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. So if you're like me and you don't immediately think when somebody asks you what's going on, all these Old Testament passages, just say what Peter said. And if you're like, hey, would you just hold on a second? I just want to read you something. And the great thing when you look in Acts 10, all Peter does is he starts with the beginning of the story and in five straight verses, 
You know, sometimes people are like, hey, you start in Romans and then you go to John and then you go over to Acts. That's really cool. And if that's how you do it, that's fine. For me, it's like, you know what, in Acts, I'm just gonna read them these five verses. They're all just right in a row. They tell the whole story. And when you're done, there's not a, would you like to pray or would you like to kneel? The people in Acts 10 just believe and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Let me also say though, just to alleviate any fears, you have the spirit living in you. Remember the promise. You will be my witnesses. And if you have, for example, a gift of mercy and God sends you into a situation where someone needs mercy, just trust the fact that the things you're going to say in that situation are going to point them in the right direction. And in the end, all you have to do is the same thing that Peter did. All Peter is answering the question is, where did this come from? Now, in his case, it's flaming tongues and foreign languages, but the question is the same. Where did this come from? And the answer is, it's the Holy Spirit. And when you're asked, where did this act of mercy come from? You can either say, well, I'm a really merciful person. Or you can say, it came from the Spirit. If you give somebody who's in financial need, you're like, hey, you know what? I just felt compelled to give you this check. Where did that idea come from? You can either say, I'm a super generous person. Or you can do what Peter did, which is say, it came from the Spirit. This is all it means to point people to God. And so please, I know it can be intimidating. I know it can be frightening. But the pattern is exactly the same. God takes you and God takes me and sends us out into the world and says, go to school, go to your neighborhood, go in your family reunions, go be part of your workplace. You may not even know when it's going to happen. But the Spirit is going to do something in you and through you. Mercy, kind, small act, big act, miraculous thing, not so miraculous seeming thing. And when you're asked, all you got to say is, it's the Spirit. What? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives in me. How did that happen? Jesus died, was raised from the dead so that I could have the gift of the Spirit. All you got to do is we're just simply answering the question, where did this come from? It came from the Spirit. That's the first way in Acts 2 that the good news of Jesus goes out. The second way is in verses 42 and following. It says in Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then look at the last sentence. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The first way, you and I just go out into our workplaces, into our schools, into our homes, and we just live life in the Spirit. And when someone asks, we say it's because of the Spirit. The second way is that we bring them to church. 
The church is created by the Spirit. The Spirit enables Christ Jesus to be present through the church. And you may not realize this, but when you came this morning, we're not talking about the building, we're talking about us. When you come and you give, and you sing, and you pray, and you greet, and you participate in high school ministry, and you volunteer in the children's ministry, and you're simply here, God is present in a unique way, and sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to wake some people up, they're not going to know it's the Holy Spirit, and he's going to tell them, come to church. And they're going to show up here, and what's going to happen is what happened in 1 Corinthians 14, where non-believers show up in the middle of church, and they're like, whoa, what is going on here? And the answer is, Jesus. And so many people come to faith through this. I don't know if you realize this. When you worship, when you sing, when you raise your hands, when you let yourself cry, when you're simply overwhelmed, when you're silent, you're like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. You are allowing the spirit to fill you. And you have the spirit 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 and I have the spirit. And if we let the spirit fill us, we start to overflow with the spirit. And suddenly, though you can't see it, the room is full of the spirit. Do you know there's a lot of people that got saved here at Calvary Church because they looked around and they saw people worshiping and they thought, I want that. Music here is different, isn't it? It's different than songs you might sing at your high school. It's different than songs you might sing at a concert. It's different than music that you might hear that you play. It's different because God inhabits the praise of his people. And the Holy Spirit is present among us. And so sometimes you're like, you know what? I don't know what to tell you. But would you like to come with me to church? Would you like to come and meet Jesus? And a person may say, do you have a hard time believing that he exists? That's okay. Come to the place where he's most powerfully present on earth, and it's anywhere that the church is gathered together. And so every Sunday morning when you show up, now some Sundays you're like, I don't really feel like going to church. You might not, or some Sundays I don't feel like going to church. <laughs> but this morning when I got up, the Lord said, go do church because there are some people that need to experience my spirit. And some weeks you can show up and you go, you know what? I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna act, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be present because when I'm there, I'm bringing the spirit with me. This is the crazy thing. The fullness of God lives in you. And when you come and you think, but I don't do anything, I just sit here. You're sitting here with the Spirit. And the people around you who need to know that God exists, you're being God to them. This is where, again, you may know this theologically, I know it theologically, but it just hit me afresh again this week. God lives in you. Not part of God, not half of God, not ideas about God, but the third person of the Trinity, God himself, with all his power, all his grace, all his mercy, lives in you. And all you and I gotta do, this news is too good to keep to ourselves. And so when you go out into your workplace and you're programming a computer and you simply do it with the spirit present, meaning you don't stop the spirit through sin and other kinds of things. You just let the spirit do what he does. He'll do what he does when he wants to do it. And all you gotta do is when someone asks, where did that come from? You just simply say it came from the spirit. And when you don't know what to do and you bring them here and you just are present and the spirit is here. 
God says, then I can bring them in and even non-Christians are gonna say, whoa, something is happening in this place. Someone is present in this place that I've not felt anywhere else before. You see, we are those four lepers. And we have discovered that there is an infinite amount of love, blessing, and grace that is all around the city. And the people that we know, that we work with, that we live with, that we're related to, that we're friends at school with, they're living besieged in a city. There's no real food. They're starving to death. They've turned on one another. They're killing each other. They're angry with God. They think they can take it out on God by punishing people who claim to be Christians. They're only doing it because they're starving. And we happen to know there is more food that would feed all of them for eternity. And it's just outside the city. And so if you're a brand new believer and you've shown up and you're like, this is, I was so hungry and you're eating and eating. Praise the Lord, eat as much as you can. We are not gonna run out of food. But at some point, the same thought should strike you that I want to have strike me. Say, you know what? What we're doing is not right here. This is a day of good news. There is more than enough for everybody. And immediately Satan will hit you with fear. Well, but how would you ever tell them? Please listen to the words of Jesus. The very last thing he said before he ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit will come upon you in power and you will be my witnesses. You're like, well, what do I do? The Holy Spirit will come on you in power and you will be my witnesses. How? The Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses. And the only thing Jesus is saying is, when it's happening, let it happen. When someone notices the Spirit in you, don't do the false modesty thing, which is not modesty, but pride, and say, oh, it's nothing. It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit that causes you to do a good job at school. It's the Spirit that causes you to be friendly. It's the Spirit who exercises love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's the Spirit that moved in your heart to give money. It's the Spirit that caused you to cry with that person who's crying. All you gotta do is not stop Jesus from what he's doing. And you just simply say, it's the spirit. How did you get God's spirit in you? You can read him what Peter said. You can say it yourself. There was a man, Jesus. He died on a cross for my sins. He was raised from the dead so that God himself could live in me. The Holy Spirit will come upon you in power and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, even in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the very ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.